You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new week of the 1620 The Jays podcast. I'm John Bishop and alongside Connor Happer and Josh Peterson, this week we have a special Hall of Fame edition of the 1620 The Jays podcast. Coming up in just a little bit, I'm going to visit with former baseball star Dave Schrag, who spent over 40 years in the college game, including his playing days at Creighton, his first major assistant coaching job at Creighton, and then spent quite a bit of time battling Creighton on the other side of the field in the opposite dugout. Dave is a proud Blue Jay. We'll have that conversation coming up. And then later on, Josh Peterson will talk with Marissa Janning Murphy from the Creighton women's basketball team, who's one of four athletes that will be inducted in this year's class. The other inductees include Fabian Herbers and Christina Lunsford from women's softball. And that uh, banquet will be coming up in just a couple of weeks on Friday, November 10th, at Steelhouse Omaha for the 2023 induction of the Creighton Athletics Hall of Fame. For more ticket information, visit gocreighton.com slash 2023 Hall of Fame tickets. And we're not going to be remiss without talking about current Jays athletics. And this week, we're going to have two tennis players, Matthew Lanahan and Alejandro Gandini, who both made some history for the Blue Jays at a regional tennis event earlier this month. So all of that coming up on this week's 1620 The Jays podcast. But first, Dave Schrag from 1980 to 1983 played Creighton baseball in a time that was very different for this university. It was as it was transitioning into the Missouri Valley Conference. And it was the generation just before Jim Hendry took over And, of course, we know what happened after that as the Blue Jays made their first and still to this time only College World Series. But Dave, a standout outfielder, then went on to become an assistant coach, then went on to become a head coach at several different stops, including Blue Jay rival schools Northern Illinois, Evansville, and most recently at Butler. And he retired after the 2022 baseball season. He also spent five years as the head coach of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Dave has a really interesting story, including the fact that it was a former famous Blue Jay basketball player who got him to come to see you in the first place. And with that said, let's welcome in one of the newest members of the Creighton Athletics Hall of Fame, Dave Schrag. Dave Congratulations. Welcome to the 1620 The Jays podcast. Thanks, John. I appreciate you having me this morning. It was uh, very humbling and and at the same time, very exciting when I got the call from uh, Marcus Blossom. The, the, the interesting thing about your career is obviously it starts at Creighton, 
But then you had several stops along the way, whether it was in the Valley or in the Big East Conference or elsewhere, where you crossed paths with the Jays on the opposite side of the field many times. I did, and unfortunately, I wasn't very successful when we played the Jays in, in a baseball game. But, uh, yes, I had a very um, fun career. Um, very fortunate to be involved in college baseball for uh, the number of years I was, but uh, it all began at Creighton and it all started at Creighton and I wouldn't have got into coaching uh, if it hadn't been my experience at Creighton University. Dave is one of only two Creighton baseball players to have multiple 400 seasons. Scott Stahoviak, who was a all-conference uh, and uh, all-American player, he was the other to do it. And Dave's 433 hitting percentage was the second best mark in Creighton history. And of course that was back in a day where, you know, the, the, the bats were certainly a little more charged than they are today, but still to hit over 400 is quite the accomplishment. What was your secret to being able to hit so well? Well, I was fortunate when I was in high school that I had a coach that uh, told me that, you know, one of your strengths is you can run and you have to be able to utilize that skill. And he would stay after numerous hours and threw extra BP to me to help me learn how to drag bunt. <laughs> and uh, that was a true, you know, back in that day, you know, they don't bunt hardly anymore, but no. back then, I mean, it was a true weapon for me. And I got, you know, to the point where, you know, I could play around with the third baseman. If he was back, I would be able to lay it down and beat it out and get a single. Um, the other thing that was part of my success, I think was just putting the ball in play. Um, probably the stat that I'm most proud of is I only had two strikeouts and over a hundred and something plate appearances my senior year. And so I was able to put the bat on the ball and put it in play. And then with, with my speed, I, I had a lot of, as my teammates would call a lot of cheap hits <laughs> that would just flare over the shortstop's head or, uh, just find the hole on the ground. But, uh, you know, when you put the ball in play, like you do, you have a better chance to get on base and, and to hit for a good average. Dave, what brought you to Creighton to begin with? It's a great question. Um, I, I tell the story that um, actually I, I played basketball at Fenwick High School and um, they recruited a center named Joe Bresnahan. And yeah. uh, Joe played at Creighton, was a seven footer. And so they had come and watched a lot of our basketball games. And when they were in there, our baseball coach was also the assistant basketball coach. And he told Randy Eckert, hey, um, we got a baseball player that might be good to come to Creighton. So actually, Joe and I came out on our visit together uh, when we visited Creighton. And then uh, I just fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the opportunity, um, chance to play right away. Um, and, and this is a funny story, but Randy Eckert was the first person that came to my uh, high school graduation party. <laughs> We, we we had a we had a graduation party. My doorbell rang and Randy Eckert was there. He was making sure I was going to come to Creighton. Um, so that kind of recruiting kind of enticed me to make sure I made that decision. And uh, it was definitely the right decision for me. I had a great experience there. Loved the school, got a great education and um, was very fortunate to have that opportunity. Well, it's very appropriate, given that Randy is also in the Creighton Athletic Hall of Fame. So, you know, one Hall of Famer to another, you know, started the pathway all those years ago, you know, it, it, it's interesting, Dave, because 
I think a lot of people who have followed Creighton baseball over the last, you know, 20, 25 years, they kind of think that the history starts in 1991 with the College World Series team and Coach Hendry. I'd, I'd like to know more about the era that you played in and how, you know, just what the conditions were like, where you played, because it was a different world completely. The Jays had just gotten back into the Missouri Valley Conference after being an independent for a long time. What were, what was it like being a Creighton baseball player in the early 80s? Well, back then, you know, you played a lot of games. I mean, um, you know, now they're limited to 56. We'd play 70 games uh, in a season um, and wouldn't blink an eye at it. Um, we were kind of, to be honest with you, John, um, that class, which was, you know, 1980, um, we were all freshmen we were kind of that uh, first recruited class where Creighton said, hey, we are going to put an emphasis on baseball. We are going to get after it. We've just joined the Missouri Valley, and you guys can be the building blocks. And that was their recruiting pitch to us. And it was uh, it enticed me to come. And and we had, a, you know, really some good players in that recruiting class. Mike Finley, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, Doug Palmer, um, who's had, you know, great records there. Kevin Christown, one of our pitchers. Um, and, you know, we we were kind of that we, we all got a real good chance to play early on um, in the early 80s. And, you know, we played down at Booth Field, which no longer exists. Um, it was, you know, down by the Salvation Army building in south part of Omaha. And we used to have to, you know, drive vans down to practice all the time. And uh, it wasn't like it is today. We We would drive, you know, we'd get in three vans and have three guys sitting across. We'd get a sack lunch with the bologna sandwich and apple and a bag of chips and go down and play Wichita State and then turn around and come home. So it was, uh, you know, the days were different there, but we loved um, playing with each other. Uh, you know, when I coached, I always told uh, my players at the end of the season, look around this room because these guys in here, your teammates are, are going to be friends forever. And that's kind of how it's been at Creighton University. I mean, we still stay in touch. Uh, we have a really tight-knit, bonded group, and um, everyone's kind of stayed in touch with each other for over 40 years. You guys didn't have to drag the infield too, did you? Oh, yes. <laughs> that was actually part, part, part of my scholarship, um, you know, while I was on work study. And, um, you know, the first year I was there, Coach Barty had to show me how to sit on the riding mower and mow the outfield because I was that that was part of my scholarship was was work study and taking care of the infield. So I would try to get all my classes done early in the morning and then get down to Booth Field and like you said, mow the outfield, drag the infield and get it ready for practice. Yeah, far cry from uh you know today at uh, Charles Schwab Field when you know you're you're playing in a near professional ballpark going back to those earlier days down in uh, South O. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But uh, great experience, though. I mean, we, we didn't think anything of it. We we love the opportunity to play in the Missouri Valley. Um, you know, Wichita State back in those days was a real power. They were they were the team that, you know, it always came down to us and them. It seemed like, um, you know, for the for the back then they split it. There was a Western Division, Eastern Division. I mean, I think New Mexico State was in the league. <laughs> Um, and so that was quite the trip, you know, for us to play conference games back then. But um, there was there were some great players uh, in the conference during that period. And um, it, it, it was a great experience. We my junior year, we went to Hawaii um, and played and opened the season down there. And, um, you know, 
what a great opportunity for a college kid. I'd, I, my first plane trip was my recruiting trip to Creighton. So being <laughs> able to fly out to Hawaii was a great experience um, as well. Dave Schrag, who is a uh, former Creighton outfielder, he was named to the All-Valley Century team uh, when that uh, honor came out a few years ago. Now the newest member of the Creighton Athletic Hall of Fame. Y- you mentioned some of those memories. Is there a game or a moment uh, uh, and at bat that stands out when you think back to your Creighton playing days? There is. Actually, uh, my senior year, um, we were tied for first with Wichita State and um we played this would never happen again today but we played a day night doubleheader um we played a day game at their Lawrence Dumont Field or whatever the the X stadium i think it was in Wichita sure uh, in the afternoon and they beat us so we went that that night and played in the minor league ballpark and um i remember Troy Howerton was on the mound we were down 4 to 1 and uh, hit a three run homer to tie it and then I came up uh, in the 10th inning. We were tied in the 10th inning, and um, Steve Bleats let off with a walk and uh, looked down, and Coach Hendry gave me the hit-and-run sign, and um, Steve went, and I hit a 18-hopper through the shortstops in the left field. <laughs> Bleats got the third, and then Mike Finley hit the sack fly, and we ended up beating Wichita that night and, and tying. Unfortunately, the next day they beat us, and – so they ended up winning the conference uh, that year by a game. But um, that I, I just remember that as a, that was a big game because we were trying to win the conference that year and had a really good team. And, uh, yeah, I just remember those, those two at-bats really stood out. And, and you just mentioned Coach Henry. He, he ended up taking over as head coach, uh, I think it was a year after you graduated. And certainly, you know, he, 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 another member of the hall of fame, the college world series team, great career in professional baseball. Could you tell early on, and I know he gave you your first chance as an assistant coach as well. Could you tell from his leadership style that he was going places? Yes. (laughs) I mean, if if it wasn't for coach Henry, I wouldn't have ever gotten the opportunity to coach. Um, He actually called me into his office my senior year. And um, said, hey, Dave, have you ever thought about going into coaching? And, of course, my response was, Jim, I'm a finance major. And are you telling me I'm not getting drafted? (laughs) (laughs) And and Jim said, oh, no, 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 no. You know, you're having a good season. No, I just wondered if you ever thought about coaching. So when I didn't get drafted that year and and I was sitting at home that summer in June, I called Jim and said, hey, what about that coaching gig you talked about? And he said, well, let me call my buddy. And so he called Paul Maneri down at Biscayne College in Miami, Florida. And Paul was the head coach down there. And they had a master's program in sports management. So I thought, what the heck? You know, it'd be a great opportunity. So I took it and uh, coached with Paul, who's had a Hall of Fame career, Notre Dame and LSU. And our other assistant that year was Al Avila, who ended up being the GM of the Detroit Tigers. Yeah. And myself. So us three, we we coached and, you know, Paul was four or five years older than me and gave me a great experience. And um, I loved it. I was like, wow, coaching is something I enjoy. And then Jim hired me back at Creighton University as an assistant. And, you know, so if it wasn't for him giving, you know, at least directing me in that way, hooking him up with one of his friends and then giving me an opportunity to be an assistant, um, I, I would have never had the coaching career that I did. One of the unique stops, because you, you had a lot of time in, in the Midwest, especially coaching, but you went as far away as Australia 
What was that experience like to be an American baseball coach in Australia? It was fun. Um, <laughs> we probably don't have enough time. I could tell you some great stories <laughs> from over there because um, it, it, it was just um, for me, I, I remember calling my dad and saying, hey, I have this opportunity to go to Australia to coach. Um, and he was like, well, what are you calling me for? You should take it. And it's something you'll remember your whole life. And he was right. I mean, I got to see another part of the world. Um, it was uh, a great experience. There were some really good players over there. David Nielsen, um, who had a nice career in Major League Baseball. Um, but I, I, real quick, the funniest story I had over there was my first practice. I was coaching this team called the Mount Gravatt Eagles. And you had an A-grade team, a B-grade team, and a C-grade team. And we all practiced together. And then I would have to sort them out and put them on different teams. And after about an hour practice, uh, a guy came up to me and said, hey, coach, when's our smoke break? And I was like, what? <laughs> when's our smoke break? He goes, yeah, we have to have a smoke break. We've been practicing for an hour. <laughs> you know, and coming from a Division One program, I, I was – I was like, smoke. I was like, okay, smoke break. <laughs> and guys would go in the dugout and, you know, either put in a chew or light up. And that was, that was eye opening to me, but uh, that was kind of what they did over in Australia. They, they did everything hard. They played hard. They partied hard. I mean, it was, but it was a great experience and really fun. You needed to introduce him to sunflower seeds. I know that would come right. along a little bit later, but man, you know, talk about the talk about the uh, the picture of health, right? Guys out there working out, playing ball, and all of a sudden, no, 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 we got to have our Marlboros here. Right, exactly. You you said something earlier that that kind of sparked something because I know you know working with Ed Service for a long time, he's been an, a proponent of making contact, putting the ball in play, all of those things. Of course, the, the sport of baseball is so different uh, in that from that aspect. You know, analytics have kind of told you that, you know, swing la launch path and, you know, being aggressive at the plate and not being afraid to strike out is kind of a good thing. You were a guy who put the ball in play. Things, good things happen when you put the ball in play. Did, were those changes to the sport the hardest for you to adapt to as you kind of went through your career? Yeah, I, you know, I took the approach as a coach. Um, you know, I was in the game a long time, but, you know, I, I tried to learn something every day. Um, the game evolves. Nobody has all the answers. And, I, you know, I was trying to grow in the game and try to – everybody was – you know, as, as the game evolves and, you know, you have to be a mathematician today yeah. <laughs> um, to, to be in baseball. We, we got all these reports on where guys hit the ball and, you know, then all of a sudden the shifts came about. And then, you know, now, like you said, it's more like we can score a run on one swing. So let's work on launch angle. Let's, you know, work on driving the ball in the gaps. And um, yeah, it took me a while as a coach to, to change that philosophy but you have to go with the times you have to learn. I mean, um, you know, players that you recruit and want to come into your program, um, they don't want to come into your program. If you're telling them, Hey, you got to learn how to drag bunt and sack bunt, you know, they, they, they want to swing for the fences. They want to work on hitting the ball in the gaps with power. And so I had to adapt to, you know, what, what was, how the game was evolving. And I just think that's, that's part of baseball and that's part of learning as a coach. Um, you know, you take every sport, you know, and it's, you know, it's evolved into trying to make the game better. And 
Although, you know, if you look at Major League Baseball, they wanted the stolen base back in the game. So, you know, this year you saw it and more teams, the running games back in because people wanted to see a little more action. So so speed, again, has become a little bit of a asset to your ball club. You stepped away uh, after 2022, after several years at Butler. What's your baseball life like today? Well, uh, thrown to my uh, four-year-old grandson, <laughs> teaching him to hit it off a tee. <laughs> um, it, I, I tell you what, you know, last year was the first year I didn't coach when the season started. Uh, certainly missed it. Uh, was following Creighton, was following Butler um, and their teams and, and how they were doing it. But uh, then when I went to bed Sunday night at 10 o'clock and wasn't on a bus getting home at two in the morning, yeah. um, there, there, there was some advantages to that. And also, you know, the recruiting, um, you know, as any college coach or coach service can attest to, the, the recruiting is is such a 24, 365, um, you know, job for you. I mean, you, you and, and it changed, you know, we were recruiting 14 and 15 year olds now, you know, because kids wanted to commit early. And so then you'd recruit them and then you'd have to recruit them for three more years through high school to make sure they, you know, stayed with their commitments. And so recruiting became really intense and and really took a lot of my time. And uh, I just thought I, I had a few health issues a couple of years ago, a little bit of a scare, um, had a brain tumor and had that uh, had that removed. And I just feel I just felt like my energy level w- wasn't where it needed to be, um, you know, to coach. And you, you got to be into it. You got to be give everything you have. And and I just thought, you know what, I've had a nice career and I can enjoy my grandchildren right now and uh, watch the game from the sidelines. Still, I still pay quite a bit of attention to it. Dave Schrag, who alongside Fabian Herbers, Christina Lunsford and Marissa Janning Murphy all in this year's induction class of the Creighton Athletics Hall of Fame. And Dave, again, congratulations. And also thanks for the generation that your baseball era spawned. You were right on the early stages of a turnaround at Creighton Baseball. And of course, uh, later we saw what Jim Hendry was able to do and leading up to this day and, of course, Ed Service and everything that's going on with Creighton Baseball. So in, in, in a lot of ways, your induction is kind of representative of your era of Creighton Baseball, a very special and very important time in the history of the program. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many great players that came after our group, um, you know, and then Jim leading them to the College World Series. I... Uh, that stands out to me. I was actually coaching at Waldorf college at the time and um, they played clumps in that first game and coming back to Omaha and being in the stands when Creighton took the field, just gave you chills and tears. I mean, that to think that, you know, Creighton university can to be in the college world series and hopefully down the road, they'll get them back there and, and uh, we'll have that opportunity again. But uh it's it's a great institution, phenomenal school. Um, you know, as a coach, you tell people it's not a four-year decision, it's a 40-year decision, and it's definitely true. There, there wasn't one time when I said, oh, I went to Creighton University where people didn't say, oh, that's a really good school, and that stays with you um, your whole life. So I was fortunate to have that experience, and uh, it was it was it was something that I feel very fortunate about. 
Well, Dave, thanks for everything that you did for Creighton University, but also for the sport of college baseball. You mentioned quite a few good names in there. Coach Maneri, who was back last year at the College World Series. A lot of great people that have helped build this sport to what it is today. And uh, without your contributions, um, we would be a lesser sport for it. So it's it's awesome to get a chance to meet you. It's also a great opportunity to uh, say congratulations on a Hall of Fame career. Thanks, John. I appreciate you having me today. Dave Schrag, class of 2023, Creighton Athletics Hall of Fame. Later in the 1620 The Jays podcast, Josh Peterson will talk with another one of the Hall of Fame inductees, Marissa Janning Murphy from Creighton Women's Basketball. But coming up next, we're going to talk tennis. Connor Happer will join us on the 1620 The Jays podcast. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Earlier this month, senior Matthew Lanahan and junior Alejandro Gandini made Creighton Blue Jay men's tennis history as they made it all the way to the ITA Central Regional Doubles Finals down in Stillwater, Oklahoma. The two will be headed out to California for the Fall National Championships, which will be held in early November. But before they do that... They had a chance to sit down with Connor Happer for this week's 1620 The Jays podcast. Guys, um, how you doing? How's the how, how's life right now? Doing pretty good. It feels good to be back in Omaha after a big weekend. Yeah, it feels pretty good. I mean, pretty good. I accomplished that and now we're back home. Okay. So, I mean, take me through. First of all, what do you, you guys are paired up in a, in a on a doubles team. Like, what are your expectations going into the in, – so we're talking about the regional tournament last week, the Central Region Tournament in, in Stillwater. Like, take me through your expectations sort of before, because I know there's a few – you know, there's a few Creighton teams there, and, and you know, you sort of get what you get in terms of the draw. It's a huge tournament. It's a 64-team tournament, 64 sort of bracket tournament. Um, like, what were your expectations going into it, and how soon was it before you were like, oh, man, we might be looking at something special here? I mean, we had a pretty decent run last year. We lost to the team that won it all. So I think that for us, like, we just, our goal is to make a good run at it and see see how many matches we can win, see how many big schools, big power schools we can take down. And for me personally, the moment we beat the two seeds, um, that was kind of the big, like, okay, you know, we can, we can make a pretty deep run here. We can do some, we can do something special because that, you know, that's the two seed that are supposed to come out of our side of the bracket. So you know, it's like those are the favorites. If we can beat them, we can beat anybody. Yeah, as Matty said, like last year we did a pretty good run. And then this year we got the number two seed in the second round. We beat them, we played pretty good. And then uh, we can do a really good run. So take me through the sort of mental approach of having to having to win, you know, five matches in a row just to get to the final. When you get to the final, it qualifies you for the national tournament. Now you want to win the, you know, you want to win what you're set out to, you know, what you're in right there, but it gets you to the final. It, it takes on a bit of a different light. Like take me through the, the mindset 
of carrying that momentum all the way through until you get to, you know, the, the very end of the weekend and, and finally, finally lose one, but really set out what you guys, you know, what you set out to accomplish. I think, yeah, it was a long week though. And the first round I got, I was cramping singles and I got to get in doubles with the cramp. We, we could win that match and then, Getting to the finals, knowing that we are in re- in the national champion already, but it's not enough for us. We wanted to win that that game, but it wasn't enough that day. And the other team played really good. Yeah, I, I agree with Ale. I mean, each uh, there's so many good players in that tournament, and there's there's so much competition that we just took it match by match. And like you said, like cramping in the first round, it 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 was a challenge to get through it. But we we played really smart. We found a way and. And we just played some really good tennis round around um, against each opponent after. And we just kept looking forward to the next match to try to get as far as we could until we were in the final and trying to take down the team that we ended up falling to. But they're, they're a great team, and it was a super competitive match, really close. So Okay, so let's zero in on the on the semifinal match, the one that clinched the, the national berth here. Um, you're down a set to Nebraska, to the guys from Nebraska, and – Okay, so in that moment, where where are you guys at? Are you what are you feeling as you know you've won four in a row to get to this point? Four matches in a row, you've been down, you've been up. There's you've gone through sort of all the emotions, and then you lose a tight set in the first set to to the guys from Nebraska. Then what happened? I think that they played in a really interesting style of doubles that first round. The guy, one of the guys from Nebraska, was basically just chip lobbing us on every single return. And that's something we weren't used to. We hadn't seen that yet. So it was like, okay, we really got to settle down and make an adjustment to our plan and try to figure something out because like we played a decent first set, but it wasn't up to the standard that we had been playing the whole tournament. So we really wanted to find a way to turn it around, start off fast and, and get to a 10 point tie break in the third where really anybody can win. And we came out to a really fast start in that second set, got up four zero quick on them found a way to put it away and just made sure that we stayed locked in going into the third set tiebreak to try to take the whole thing. Yeah, as Matt said, uh, a tough match always versus Nebraska semifinals. We lost the first you know, tiebreak, really close one. Then we made up. We talked a little bit about how we're going to, what we're going to do in the second set to win. We start quick 4-0 and then in the match tie team pointer is 50-50. I think the the team that is more ready is going to win it. When, when you make a run like that, uh, how much chemistry do you guys need to have with each other? I mean, this is just partly me not understanding completely what, what you guys do, but like, how much chemistry do you guys need to have with each other in order to do what you guys did last week? I'd say that it the chemistry is a pretty crucial part. You know, we, I have to be able to understand what's going through his mind and how he's going to respond to things and, and same for him. So, I mean, we, we get along pretty well off the court. I feel like I, I love Ale. We get along pretty well and we're good friends. So it's easy for me to understand like what's going through his mind on the court if something's going wrong. And I can, I can kind of use that to like, if he's, if he's having a tough match, I can try to pick him up. And if I'm, if I'm not hitting on the right cylinder and, and I'm not playing well enough, he can pick me back up. So that's, that's a super crucial part. And then game style chemistry, that's also important, you know, and our games don't, 
our games clash pretty well for for the sake of doubles. We're both super aggressive. We both we both want to be on top of the net and and take the matches away from teams, and it, it tends to work pretty well because we've had some some pretty good success playing together. Yeah, like Matt said, we're pretty we're pretty good friends outside the court too. So, I mean, I'm, I trust Matt. I know Matt trusts me in the big moments of the game. I think that's very important, really important when you're playing doubles to trust your partner. And then, yeah. That's good. I'm glad you guys like each other. <laughs> that feels important. Um, okay, first first year under new coach, um, Coach Posh, like what what have you guys sort of learned this year? How has it been different? And what's what's allowed you to have some some success? I want to talk about the national tournament in a second, but like if if we look at the year and sort of retrospective by itself, like what what was different about this season? I'd say that so far just the style of coaching within matches is different um, between Tom and, and Gerhardt. They're both great coaches, respect them a ton. Um, but Tom is more, he's there to like kind of pick you up mentally and, and like, just like little things really subtle. Um, and Gerhardt's very hands-on super like, like strategy, every point, every point, like let's do this. He's very intense, very passionate. Um, so there's a little bit of contrast there. Both work well. Um, and I think that, in in the in the frame of this tournament that intensity did help bring a little bit of extra energy and you know kind of brought our spirits up to try to because ener- doubles is like so focused around energy so being able to to use that energy to like impose it on the other teams and and take some matches away from those guys really helped i think coach poach help us with the energy in the tough time of the game we were like down he always would net with, energy, with a lot of energy and the strategies that we can do. And I think it's going to be great for the, for the six, for a season in the spring. All right. So what are you guys' mindset for the national tournament, which is, which is next week. And you get to, you get a trip out to San Diego for it, which is, you know, awesome. But what's your mindset as far as the tennis part is concerned going into the big national tournament? I think it's, it's kind of the same with the regionals one. Is play by my by match by match, be focused one by one, and then see what happens. Yeah, we're ju- we're just gonna take it one at a time and try to try to build off of the great turn we had. It's it's just it's really just an amazing opportunity. There's so many great teams there, and it's it's an opportunity to to take some of those really good teams down and make a name for ourselves and and make hopefully make a run at, at the national tournament too. And it's kind of just like the cherry on top that it's in San Diego because I'm going back to my hometown to play probably the biggest tournament I've ever gonna have played in in my college career. You gonna have a big cheering section, Matthew? Maybe some family and friends, you know, we'll see what happens. I, that was the kind of center that I used to, I've coached at a little bit. I've, I played at my first tournament ever at. So um, I think my, my coach will probably be there and, and some family and friends. So it's exciting to, it, it's very full circle, you know, <laughs> like going back to the place where it all started. So I'm excited awesome. for that. Well, what a great honor for you guys. Good luck next week. Uh, can't wait to, can't wait to catch the results of it. Um, that is Matthew Lanahan and Alejandro Gandini guys. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Those were Creighton Blue Jays, Matthew Lanahan and Alejandro Gandini, the first Blue Jays in program history to qualify for the ITA National Fall Championships. That is next week, November 1 through 5 at the Barnes Tennis Center in San Diego, California. They did it. 
by knocking off a whole host of people at the Central Regional Tournament. Like like he said, the two seed get all the way to the finals. The the teams from the finals and the finalists, of course, so both teams from the finals and the double side make the national tournament from all the regional tournaments around the country. Then they'll go out and play the national tournament. There's also some at-larges in there. So the Blue Jays are represented in the ITA national tournament, uh, Division One tournament, for the first time ever. And it came off of an incredible run by those two guys. And you know what? you, you got to be honest here. In the quarter, you know, in the in the in the semifinal to get to the final match, they're down a set to guess who? Nebraska. So they they come back and they win that thing. And what a great story! Um, those two are fantastic, and and um, they're on a they're on a magical ride right now. Even though they lost in the final in the central tournament, they're on a pretty magical ride right now. Um, so we look forward to their results next week out in San Diego at the ITA National Finals. That'll do it for me. I'm Connor Happer on this week's edition of the 1620 The Jays podcast. We'll send it back to John Bishop. John? Before we sit down with our next Hall of Famer, let's take a look at other news and notes from around Creighton Athletics from this past week. It was Big East media days for both men's and women's basketball at Madison Square Garden in New York. And both the Creighton men's and women's teams were picked preseason second in the poll of the league's coaches. On the men's side, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, and Baylor Shireman all earned preseason honors. As Alexander and Kalkbrenner were named to the preseason first team, and Baylor Shireman was named to the Big East all-second team. Also, women's soccer season came to a close, losing to Butler on Thursday night, 3-1. to one. That match was for the sixth and final spot in the Big East Conference women's soccer tournament. And so for the women's soccer team, their season is now complete. And now let's turn things over to Josh Peterson. John, thank you so much. We welcome onto the podcast for the first time. You will remember her from her playing days with the Creighton women's basketball team as Marissa Janning. She is now Marissa Murphy, and she is a 2023 Hall of Fame inductee for <laughs> Creighton. Marissa, thank you so much for taking the time. Congratulations. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Busy. I recently in the parenthood, we're two weeks in. <laughs> so I was going to say, um, let, let's start with the important news first, not the Hall of Fame. You're a new mom. How has that been going for you? It is good. We had Brody on October 2nd. And so when I heard about the Hall of Fame stuff, Flan made a comment. He was like, um, if anybody would come a month after having a baby, I feel like it would be you. And I was like, <laughs> yes. And my husband actually, Brendan Murphy, who played baseball at Creighton, he came out and he was like, we'll be there. Whatever we got to do. What's the sleep schedule been like? How, how are you? How are you holding up? I was just telling Glenn, there is no sleep schedule, but no, <laughs> we're, we're good. Um, we make a good team. I do the feeds. Brennan does diaper changes right now. So I, I, I like that. <laughs> no, but everything's going pretty well. I mean, newborn, it's challenging, but we're doing it. So. Awesome. Congratulations. Um, let, let's go back to the to the news, uh, which is why we wanted to have you on in the first place. When did you find out? Where were you at when you learned that you were going to be a member of the 2023 Hall of Fame class? So I was working from home um, and I got a phone call and I saw it said Flan. And actually, it still says Creighton Jim Flannery from my recruiting days. And uh, so I answered it and I was like, Flan, what's up? And he just 
he just is playing on phone calls. He was just talking. And then he's like, I have someone special in the room with me. And I, <laughs> I know Rass is not the AD there anymore. I know that. And I, I know Marcus is there and I've met Marcus and talked to him a couple of times. And so I said, Rass, and he started laughing. He's like, no, it's Marcus. And then he told me, and I had walked to my living room because me and Brennan were both sharing an office. And he told me that I was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I was like overwhelmed with emotion. Like just, I didn't expect it, especially not this soon. Um, but when he told me, I was just, I mean, like I said, over, overwhelmed with emotion. So cool. Uh, you, you were a member of the program as it bridged the gap between the Missouri Valley era and the Big East era. When you think back on that and everything that, that kind of went into that process. Is there like a memory in particular that you have? Like, I always wonder about, you know, physically or mentally how that adjustment had to go for you and your teammates. Well, now it's basically a decade in the rear view. What, what, what comes to your mind when you think about Missouri Valley to big East? So we had, I had no idea that that was even in the talks when I was being recruited, when I got there, whatever. So I don't remember when exactly it was. It was, I think it was, in the middle of season, my freshman year, when we were in the Valley, we had just gotten back on a bus trip. And I don't remember which one, because that's really all we did. Um, and I remember there being like rumors of us going to the biggies. And I, I remember a lot of us being like, there's no way, like, we're not on the East coast. We're not this, we're not that, like, whatever. And then like maybe within that week, we heard that it was actually happening and I remember just being like, huh, this is weird. Like I committed to a mid-major school, like a, I don't know, that was in the Missouri Valley. And we were, I, that was my expectations. And then I was so excited to move into the Big East because so many reasons. We get to fly to cool places. <laughs> we, there were so many things, the, the competition of the Big East. It was, I, I just distinctly remember that bus trip. We get back and we're all like, what are these rumors? Like we're looking at our phones. But I couldn't have been part of Craignet. I mean, it was such a cool time to be there. Yeah, it definitely was. And, and you performed very well. You, you won awards in the Missouri Valley. You won awards in the Big East Conference. It seemed like you were able to handle everything as it as it kind of came to you. I think as it was kind of like the really no expectations, especially my freshman year. I came in, I knew that we didn't, like Carly was playing point guard and it was kind of like not her area that she, like she was probably better on, more comfortable on the wing. Um, I mean, she had to do what Flan needed her to do. So I knew that coming in that I was going to get an opportunity to play. I didn't know how much. And then uh, first few games, I didn't perform the best. So I remember going to Flan and being like, what am I doing something wrong? Do I need to take a year or something? I brought up Red Tree. He was like, no, he kind of laughed actually. And then when we moved into the Big East, again, no expectations. You just go in. We really didn't have anything to lose. So just went in with nothing in mind and just wanting to win some games. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of former athletes and they'll always say when I ask, like, what do you miss the most? They always talk about the camaraderie. They talk about their teammates. Beyond, beyond that, when you think back on your time at Creighton, is there something in particular that really pops up that you're like, man, I miss I miss that? Whether it's playing under the lights, whether it's playing in front of the fans, is, is there something that sticks with you all these years later? That is a tough question. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Your teammates and I really I miss my coaches like seeing them all the time which I'm very fortunate to feel that way because not a lot of people of other experiences do um but I would probably say 
<laughs> Glenn. <laughs> the SID. I you miss the miss SID Glenn. the most. <laughs> I do miss Glenn. We were like airplane buddies, um, travel buds. Um, honestly, I would say probably just playing, playing at that level with that atmosphere at a lot of the different um, arenas, gyms, whatever. Um, but for sure, home games, obviously. Um, but yeah, just probably just playing in that atmosphere, I would say. You mentioned a few minutes ago, Marissa, that like you you were there at like the perfect time and the program has continued to grow. Of course, they make the Elite Eight run a couple seasons ago. What's it been like following what's happened since? I have to do imagine that there is a sense of pride, not just that you're a Blue Jay, but also that you were a part of that first team in the Big East, you know, kind of laying the groundwork for what was to come. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been really cool to follow them. I I text, well, when, when Linda... Sai was there. I would text her a lot. Now Jordan and, and Flan. And I, I mean, I, I keep in touch with the coaches and it's been really cool following the girls. I went out to Greensboro when they were the, for the sweet 16 and elite eight games um, or the sweet 16 game. And I mean, it has been unreal following them and it is a sense of pride. Like I, I, I wear my like Creighton stuff around Oklahoma and actually when Oklahoma played Nebraska, I wore a Creighton shirt underneath <laughs> just to show Nebraska fans. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it has been really cool. And I am so proud of the program and, and all the girls and the coaches and everything. And I mean, it makes it really fun. And it, when people see like, if I have a Creighton shirt on or something, they're like, Oh, they're really good basketball school. They don't say men's basketball anymore. They just say basketball. And I'm like, yeah, there you go. That's awesome. Uh, now, I, I, I did want to ask you about this, and I, I am asking it at the end because I didn't want to sidetrack the conversation too much, but I, uh, I I see that you ran the Boston Marathon this year. Um, I I just qualified again. I thought I had qualified in Chicago last year. I missed it by, in the end, I missed it by 16 seconds because of how many uh, people oh, no. registered for it. <laughs> but I, I just added eight minutes to my buffer. I'm feeling good for 2025. You ran it, though, this year. I know it was a misty day. I had some friends who were there. What was what was that day like for you running the Boston Marathon? That was unreal. So I qualified in Oklahoma City with a time of like 323 or something. I don't really remember. But I was 15 months or 15 weeks pregnant when I ran the Boston Marathon. So I had to make a couple or like a handful of pit stops along the way. <laughs> sure. Uh, but it was it was awesome. It was rainy and cold, but still amazing. The adrenaline rush. Just the experience, again, going in, no expectations, just wanting to finish. Uh, but just the amount of people there, the different, I mean, I forget. I'm going to have to let you know a book that I read um, that a friend lent me, but they, it just goes through the different areas of Boston, like mile by mile. And it was incredible. Um, so I'll, I'll try to find that and message that to you because it was, it was a really great read before Boston. But the atmosphere, it was amazing. And then after like the, the events before the expo, my husband and his parents and my best friend who lives in Bellevue, she came with her husband. It was, it was an unreal experience. And that's why I did it. I did it for the experience. I said, I was only going to run one marathon and that was going to be Oklahoma city. And then when I qualified, I was like, all right, I have to do this. <laughs> I was going to say, how did you even get into marathons? Uh, so I actually ran cross country and track in high school. And I was originally going to do track in college or look at running in college. And that's what my first recruiting letter was for. And then when basketball came along more, I wanted to do that. So then I got back into running to do something competitive still um, after basketball. 
And I ran a half marathon back in October, 2021, I think. And that went really well. And then there was the Oklahoma city marathon the following April. And I was like, well, I'm already in shape. So why don't I just keep training for that? And then just kind of blossom from there, but I'll go back to half marathons. I think I'm going to run a half in April here. Very cool. Well, Marissa, congratulations. 2023 Hall of Fame inductee. So cool when the news came down. Uh, a great career. I'm happy that it will get to get celebrated uh, once more. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Good luck with the sleep schedule moving forward. And, uh, and congrats again on being a new mom. Thank you. I appreciate it. John, back to you. As we wrap things up this week, let's take a look at what's going on in Creighton Athletics. The women's volleyball team on the road as they continue their two-weekend road trip. They were successful in sweeping twice last week. They will try it again this week. Headed to Villanova on Friday night, 6 o'clock first serve time on Flow Sports. And then after that, they will be headed to Washington, D.C. to take on the Georgetown Hoyas. That match will be on Hoya Vision. Check GoCrayton.com for details on how you can access that broadcast. Match time on Saturday will be at 5 o'clock. Men's soccer is at St. John's Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. And the men's and women's cross-country championships, Big East Conference championships, will be held in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That will be going on through the weekend. And then it's time to break out the basketballs and get ready for some women's exhibition action. On Monday night, 6 o'clock, over at DJ Sokol Arena, the Jays will take on the Lopers of Nebraska Kearney. And then, of course, next week on Friday night, the Blue Jay men will have their lone public exhibition game against Wayne State. We will have coverage on 1620 The Zone and 1019 The Keg, your home for Creighton basketball and also we will keep you up to date throughout the course of the year on all of the radio broadcasts for the women's basketball team so got another big season of hoops down the road here on the stations of 1620 the zone and that'll do it for this week's 1620 the jays podcast want to thank our guests this week and for connor happer and josh peterson i'm john bishop the 1620 the jays podcast has been a co-presentation of creighton university athletics and nrg media omaha 